And God, we just thank you that you have washed us clean, that you have made us as white as snow. And so, Father, because of these things, we take this time this morning, Lord, as we celebrate this common union that we have in you, Father, to celebrate our salvation, to celebrate us just being able to be a church, to come together underneath your word and to be filled and to be inspired. And so once more, God, we pray that you would bless us with the knowledge of your presence, fill us with your spirit, and use us for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? Hi, guys. Greetings. It's good to be back. Hi, Stacey. How are you? I missed you. (laughs) Well, it definitely is good to be home because this is home. Israel was a good place to visit. It'll be a future home, but as of right now, that's not home. There was a lot of stuff that we saw, a lot of stuff that inspires. It does make your Bible come alive, and if you ever get an opportunity, go, but do come home, because this is the place where God met me. This is the place where God has me. You're the people that I see God working in and God working through, and it's just so good to be back. And so God is good. He showed us some great things. We've been through some trials as we've been gone. Um, We left uh, two Sundays ago on our trip to Israel, in case you don't know. A group of us went to Israel. I don't know, is anybody here, that other than Lakana, I saw Lakana earlier, that went on a trip? Because I think everybody else is like sick. There's Joanne in the back. We had a rough trip in that regard. Anyway, we left on a Sunday. I've been dealing with this condition that has kind of reared up. And on Tuesday night, we were in Tiberias, which is on the Sea of Galilee, and had to end up going to the hospital in the middle of the night. And that's kind of a scary experience in a foreign country. This cab driver pulls up, and all of a sudden, he's careening through town and doesn't really speak English. You're not sure where he's taking you, or if he's going to bring you back, or going to drop you off in the middle of the desert. And Anyway, we finally did make it back and moved on. Um, 90% of the people on our bus were sick, had that flu uh, cold thing, which I don't really, even right now, still dealing with. And then you throw jet lag on top of that and feel like I kind of have the combination of a a flu cold or um, leprosy or something. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe just a touch of leprosy. Um, but it, it, it was good to be in Israel and to see the sights and to spe- be there with a group of people from our church that were seeing them, some of them for the very first time. Um, Israel is just such a blessed place. There is no element of danger. I mean, there's an element of danger everywhere, but I didn't feel any different there than I, than I feel here. There was no incidences or anything along those lines. Um, we seem to travel well. Um, 
the plane, <laughs> the plane flight on the way back for us. There was two different groups, two different plane flights. One was a direct flight. They flew El Al, and I believe theirs was 14-hour direct flight. Ours was 20-some hours indirect flight. Uh, but I got to go to Paris, and so <laughs> I, the airport anyway. Um, we went from Tel Aviv to Paris, and we hung out there for six hours. Our plane was delayed a little bit. Um, I'm looking at the airplane, and they have the shroud of the engine opened up, and these guys are just sitting there looking at it. And I'm thinking, that just doesn't look very good. And then um, a bunch of freight pulled up finally after about an hour. They loaded the freight up and closed the motor up. So they were just, that was just a ruse. They were just waiting for the freight. And so that was good, because motor problems are never a good thing on an airplane. Um, but, it, it, you know, that, that's the hardest thing. The hardest thing of the whole trip is the air flight, unless you can afford first class, which I can't. But um, Israel, we, as I said, we went to the northern country. We went to uh, Caesarea. Caesarea is right on the coastline. Caesarea is the place where Cornelius was when he called for Peter. It's also a place where Paul was examined. We went to um, Carmel Mountain that same day in the, the Jezreel Valley, it's kind of like the San Joaquin Valley here. It's a place where they grow a lot of crops and whatnot. That's also the Valley of Armageddon. And so one of the hilltops is Mount Carmel. It's where the prophet Elijah stood against the prophets of Baal and achieved that great victory in the Lord. And you were able to overlook that whole valley. And then you go from there to Megiddo, which is a mountaintop fortress and be able to go up there and again you see the valley and from there we went through Nazareth and Cana and then to our hotel the next day where they were next day I didn't make it because that was the day after the hospital thing my wife and I were in the hotel the most of that particular day but that was the day that we baptized I so look forward to baptizing people in our church I missed out on that but nonetheless they were baptized and uh, got to see the Mount of uh, Beatitudes and to cruise along the Sea of Galilee and whatnot and see the different sites that were there. Next day, went up to um, Tel Dan. It's where they had the worship of the false idol, the calf, when the country was split and got to see that area. The foundation of that altar is still there. Uh, a gate that Abraham had entered in during his day is still there and got to see that, the city gates of that particular area and what a city gate means and see where the king would sit or at least the, the one who was in charge of that area and where they would make their, their decisions. Um, from there, where did we go from there? Um, we went to the Gadarenes where the demon-possessed man was, which is right across the Sea of Galilee from uh, Capernaum. And as we're there, you could see that you know, the things that it says in the scriptures as far as this man and the cliffs and all, it's just all right there, and it's very explicit. Um, we headed down the next day. We went to a, uh, um, to a Roman city that we saw the ruins of. Uh, we went to Gideon Springs, the place where Gideon's uh, armed force was reduced, where God reduced it because it was too many for him to uh, get the glory for the victory. Um, from there, we went down to the traditional place where the Lord was baptized, 
through there we went down through the wilderness and then you go in for the very first time for most of the people on the bus into Jerusalem and that's kind of overwhelming when you're able to drive into there find our hotel the next morning we get up and we went to the um, I think that first day we went back out into the wilderness area we went to in the place where David uh, hid from King Saul uh, more than likely the place where he wrote Psalm 1 and maybe even some of the other Psalms um, there's caves up there just as it speaks of in the scriptures and again you're able to follow these things through uh, we went to um, the place where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and saw how those people lived and why they were there and whatnot, and just a lot of interesting information that is to be gleaned from that. The Dead Sea, some of our people went out and floated in the Dead Sea. I went in the bus and took a nap. You can smear mud all over you too if you really want to. Uh, the next day we went to the Wailing Wall. Actually, you go to the uh, Mount of Olives and you walk down the path that the Lord did in his triumphal entry, knowing that this is not the exact place that the Lord walked, but you get the feel of it and you can kind of see the situation as existed during the Lord's day. Went to the Garden of Gethsemane and experienced that, and then we enter into the city and we went to the Wailing Wall, and then there's a tour of the Wailing, Wailing Wall, not of the wall itself, but the foundation of it, which is very interesting. And you just see the various strata of the civilizations that existed throughout time. Um, see how they, the ingenious, and how they had built that wall, and the foundation of it, and how strong it was. And there's, there, there's rocks that they had carved out and set in place that are the size of a trash dumpster, you know, the real 40 feet by you know, eight feet by eight feet kind of a thing. Um, what else did we see? The Temple Institute that are putting together the implements and the things necessary for the reconstruction of the temple. We did go on the Temple Mount. We didn't do that last time we were there. We did go on the Temple Mount this time. Very strict. Although Israel owns it, it's under Arab control. They've given control to the Arabs, and the Arabs don't like... Well, if they didn't like the way a woman was dressed, they gave them these little funky-looking skirt, hula skirt kind of things that they'd have to wear. Um, there was to be no touching, male or female, and they told us there's no ha-has. You weren't allowed to laugh. And in Islam, never seems to be much ha-ha anyway, but um, they're very strict about that. But it was neat to go up there. It was neat to see the Eastern Gate from the perspective of the Temple Mount. Now, there's the Wailing Wall, which is actually a retaining wall. The Temple Mount is the place where the temple used to be. And so there's the big um, wall that goes around the city. That's just the wall of the city. But the Temple Mount is the place where the temple used to be and the temple, when it finally is constructed, where it will be right now is the Dome of the Rock, a Muslim mosque that exists right now. We believe that the Antichrist is going to work out a pact where the new temple will be able to be built without starting World War III. Um, I'm, I'm leaving a lot out, but we saw King David's traditional place of King David's house. Some of our people walked down Hezekiah's water tunnel, and it's kind of a neat thing. Pool of Bethesda, Pool of uh, Shalom. Um, it, it just, our, our days were completely filled. Our guide was just constantly giving us information. And so it's definitely not a place to go to relax. You cannot look at it as going on a vacation, but it is a learning experience, and you must be prepared to be putting forth the effort, and you will be exhausted when you get back. 
My wife and I are still recovering. Terry is sick as well, but it was all good. And you know what? As hard as it was for us this trip, it's just all well worth it. But it's so good to be home because God has called me to go visit there, but he has called me to live his word here as he has us all. So that being the case, we're having communion today, so I'm going to veer off a little bit from our Hebrew study today. I I look at communion as just a time when we should just enjoy being a Christian. Enjoy not, not just personally, but corporately. Enjoy it with one another and the good things that God has done. Hallelujah, we have been set free. All of our sins have been washed away. It's important that we take this time to understand the supernatural forgiveness that God has given us. That time when he died upon the cross and paid that price that we could not pay. He has washed our sins away so that they're as far as the east is from the west because he has chosen to remember them no more. And because God has chosen to remember our sins no more, we ought to not remember them anymore as well. And also, it should bring us to that place of just simply rejoicing in the goodness of God and all that God has done. And so Israel's behind us now, but here we have this moment today. And I just want you to enjoy this moment. Enjoy in the Lord this moment today. If you brought your Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm 8. We went through verse by verse the Psalms. It was about a three-year process many years ago. And the Psalms were just so, they were just so valuable in my beginning to become a teacher. And the training that God did in my life, because the Psalms are just so practical. Especially when you understand the background of King David and who he is and all that God has done in his life, but you'll see that David's just experiencing doubt at times. Certain places in the scriptures, he seems to even be experiencing depression. Sometimes he becomes overwhelmed by situations and circumstances. A lot of the Psalms, he looks at the Lord, but then he looks at a situation and it overwhelms him. But then the Psalm, there's a turning point in it, and he focuses his eyes back upon the Lord, and he finishes with hope in who God is and what God wants to do. A lot of the Psalms, you can read the first verse and you can read the last verse and you can get an idea of what that particular Psalm is about. A lot of the Psalms, they even attach together. If you read the last verse of the previous Psalm with the first verse of the next Psalm, you see that there's a cohesiveness about it and that it flows together. Well, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm chapter 8. Now, There's a title here, and the title in Psalm chapter 8 is To the Chief Musician on the Instrument of Gath, a Psalm of David. That's part of the inspired Word of God. So as I'm going through and reading Psalms, a lot of times I'll include that because, again, that is part of the Word of God. Psalm 8, starting at the title, To the Chief Musician on the Instrument of Gath, a Psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord. How excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? 
For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even beasts of the fields, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Father, I just pray that we would see the excellence of who you are, the the, the dynamic of our God that has been so good to us and continues to do so, that we would see, Father, that contained in your name is all of these elements of who you are that ministers into who you are creating us to be. And so, Father, I pray once again, as we just take this time to be reminded of things this morning, take this time just to enjoy you and our salvation, just praying once again, Lord, that you would bless us with the knowledge of your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. (coughs) Now, if you would read the Psalms up to this point and even after this point, you would have seen man in his overwhelming situations and circumstances. You would see the problems of man and the effect of evil upon him. You would see each time that it would be God who would be the answer because God is truly the answer. As you would look back on the first seven psalms, you'd see how God cares for man. But what the psalmist is doing here in chapter 8, he's looking at these things and he's contemplating these things. And he's thinking, why is God mindful of us? I mean, I can look at myself in the mirror and think, what is there that, that God really sees that is of any value whatsoever here? I mean, there, there's people who I'm sure are better preachers. There's people who are more dedicated to God and more dedicated to God's word. Why would God even care about me? And then I preach that God cares about you. And, and really, why would, he, why would he even care about us? I mean, when we get into these problems, we get into these situations and circumstances, you can start to wonder, are we really more work than we're worth? But God wants you to know that far be it from that, that God loves you. And that God desires you. And don't try to figure it out because you're never going to be able to figure it out. Again, in your is- when you're in Israel, you're reminded of these things that we read in the Scripture. And this is the place, Israel, Israel through the Jewish people, that God's love was revealed to mankind just simply because He loves us. As you look at holy God and sinful man, why does he continue to strive with us? Why does he care about us? Why does God care for us? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, whenever I contemplate that question, the answer is always very clear to me, at least personally. In Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 through 8, it says, The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in numbers. Now, he, he's speaking the nation Israel. The church is not the fulfillment of Israel. God's still got plans for Israel. But we see this dynamic of how God ministers to his people through Israel. And that I can take concepts from that and see how God ministers to me. So the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you. Why does the Lord love me? The Lord loves me because he loves me. And he just wants us to accept that. He wants us to to rejoice in that. The next time when you doubt, the next time when you wonder, just accept God just loves you just simply because he does. He knows who you are. He knows all of the things that you have done. And because of the great love with which he had for you, 
He died on the cross for those things which you have done. He, he, he wanted to bring you into that family. He, he wants you to be close to him. He wants you to come into the congregation and worship him together corporately with one another for his glory. And it's all that he desires of us. I can never pay God back for what he has done, but I can enjoy and rejoice in all that he's done. Again, verse 8, But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep an oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. He has brought us out of the world with that mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And then the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 49, verses 15 through 16, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget. You see, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. He's inscribed me on the palms of his hands. It's those wounds of love. When Thomas doubted, what did Jesus say? Put your hands here. Put your hands there. Put your hands in the wounds of love. And then you'll know, and then you will understand. We don't see that Thomas actually did that is all he had to do was to observe them. How are they observed today? They're observed through the word of God today and the experience that we have in our born-again salvation. But when you start to wonder why or you forget that he does love you, just be reminded of the wounds that he experienced for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And it were those wounds that bound him to the cross so that we would have eternity with him. It's why we're able to gather here today and call ourselves a church and have a confidence in the fellowship that we have with one another. It's why we're able to leave this place knowing that we have, well, on I think it was Wednesday after we had left, I was done with Israel. You can ask my wife, man of great faith. I was just telling <laughs> I'm done. I'm, I'm in pain. I, I'm feeling miserable. And, and I, I, I had actually shared the Word of God just, just the day before. I, I had just experienced the hospital visitation and everything. I, it, we're on the Internet, so I'll just tell the whole world my problem here. <laughs> I, they don't know what it is. I'm going in for tests this week. I've got some kind of bladder issue. Well, when I was in Israel, just being there two days, I had a catheter installed. Yeah, no, it's not a party. It's not a party whatsoever. It's kind of miserable. And anyway, so I'm just feeling miserable, and, and I'm just ready. To, I, my wife even looked up, and she goes, well, this is how much it's going to cost to leave. We can't afford to leave, so we're going to have to endure. But then, you know what? As discouraged that I was at that moment, I, we went down to breakfast, and it's like God had this holy reception waiting for us. I mean, it wasn't as everybody stood up, eh, there's Mike, but it was just, just one person after another, just encouraged. One person, and they, they, didn't, have, they didn't know what was going on. And one person after another, hey, you know what, when you spoke yesterday, God just ministered to me in this way. Or, you know what, we've really been praying for you. And, and as, as, as discouraged as I was going into that breakfast, I was so encouraged coming out. And it was just the love of God. It was the love of God through those people. And I was even of the mindset that I wasn't even going to go down to breakfast. 
How many times you've been of the mindset that I'm not going to even go to church? Well, when I come into church, I'm coming into the congregation of God. And as I'm being ministered to, ministering and being ministered to, it's not just through one person or person. It's through the body of Christ. As, As we give of ourselves for the purpose of one another, you never know who it is that you're strengthening. You never know who it is that you're encouraging. Because, you know, life, life can get us down. The attacks come. There's no doubt about that they come. But it's not, you, you, your, your attack, your, your, your trial is not unique unto yourself. We've all experienced these things. Be an encourager. Be somebody who strengthens those people who are having, having a hard time, having a hard day. And you may not even know it, but just be somebody who is positive in the Lord. And I guarantee you, God will use you because I've experienced that. I experienced that in this trip. The theme in Psalm 8 is the greatness of God and the place of man within God's universe. Now, the biblical definition of God's universe or universe is the vastness of all that is unified under God. It's the universe, it's the diversity of all that exists, unified under the hands of a holy God. And so that we can safely say that all things are working together for the glory of God. And so here we see how all of that relates to our, to our lives. And so the psalmist, as he's experiencing God and the vastness of who God is and the holiness of God, he writes this psalm, and this is a psalm that we're going to fairly quickly here this morning break down into four parts. The first part is in verses 1 and 2 as we see the majesty of God. In verses 3 and 4, we see the insignificance of man. In verses 5 through 8, we see how we have been made significant. And then verse 9, once again, he revisits the majesty of God. And so verse 1, to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, the psalm of David, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. For a proper view of the situation. First, the psalmist looks at God. As he does, he sees that majesty of God. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it was in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah was looked at as a good king. He was a man who made some mistakes, but Isaiah, we saw when we studied Isaiah, was the court historian. He more than likely developed close relationship with the kings, and a good king, you can imagine, Isaiah would be fairly close to him. And as he was close to King Uzziah, I would imagine he saw the majesty of that particular king. That king would watch over him. That king could protect him. And so he was a man who was not afraid. And we see the first five chapters of the book of Isaiah to say what was on his mind. And he was pretty much condemning Israel as Israel needed to be condemned at that time. Judah needed to be condemned at that time because they truly were in sin. But nonetheless, he spoke very freely. But then it was in the year that King Uzziah died that he was able to finally see past the majesty of that man who was on the throne to the throne room of God. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the majesty of God seated upon the throne. That's just an amazing statement. Most of you have heard that before, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, or even the preceding verses. But think of what happened in this man's life. 
in the year that that which I depended upon, in the year that I lost my paycheck, in the year that I lost my health, in the year that maybe I lost a loved one, whatever it might be, I saw God. And he didn't just see God. He didn't just see the majesty of God as if that wasn't enough. I saw him seated upon the throne. And that's critical. What does it mean for God to be seated upon the throne? The throne is the place where God oversees the affairs of mankind. He realized that in the year that King Uzziah died, things aren't out of control. At times they see that they are. At times it seems like society is just going downhill and aspiring out of control. But God is still seated upon the throne. God is always going to be seated upon the throne. And that's a confidence that we are able to have in the Lord. That he is over control, control, in control over all that goes on. And because of that, I can have a confidence. I have a confidence and a surety of my God that he dictates the things that goes on in the, men, in the lives of men and women. So the year that King Uzziah died, I saw God seated upon the throne. He needed to be reminded of that. And what was the result? That he was a man of unclean lips, living in a, amongst the people of unclean lips. I, I, I've, been, I've been giving these people kind of a hard time, but it comes to the realization, I'm no better than they are. And it was then that God said, well, who will go for us? He's understanding. God understands, well, Isaiah understands that it's at that point that he is then able to be used by God. And so what the psalmist here in the first couple of words, O Lord, our Lord. Now, that's important to understand what is being said here. Now, look where it says, O Lord. The first instance of Lord in my Bible It's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And the idea is, is that is in relationship to the tetragrammaton Yahweh. And the idea is, is that's the name of God that God gave to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Now, what he's saying, the psalmist here in Psalm 8 is saying, O Yahweh, our Lord. He's saying, the God who is, is my Lord. Now, you can make anything the Lord of your life. You can, I mean, people do it. All, I mean, we, the, the, the Old Testament is filled with people who've made false gods the lords of their life. But the psalmist is saying, the God who is, is the Lord of my life. Now, again, that even goes deeper. That the God who is, Yahweh, is the one who I have submitted my life to. He's the one who I report to in order to hear from, to receive from, and then to follow through. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? The idea is that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It's whoever it is that you obey is the one who is the Lord of your life. And so the psalmist is resetting himself here that Yahweh, the God of the word of God, is the one who is the Lord of my life. Now we reconfirm that, I pray, every time we get together and we study God's word here at church or at home on your couch as you get into the word of God every day. That you're of the mindset of clearing your heart and reporting to the Lord, Lord, what is it that you have for me today? 
Speak to me, God. Guide me in your word so that I would know what it is that you desire of me, or at least I'd be well prepared for what you have for me today. Again, you're making him the Lord of your life. You're reporting for orders early in the morning so that you're able to follow through and what your God's desire is for you for the remainder of that day. And so the idea here is, is Yahweh is my Adonai. The God who exists is the king of my life. Just reestablishing that. Psalm 33, verse 12, even speaks of a nation. It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. We've been a country as the, our God is our Lord as a nation. God has blessed our nation. When we have wandered apart, the whole operation falls apart. That's what we're trying to deal with today. That's why we have the gun control issue that we don't... Why was this never a problem before? Because we instilled biblical morals into the lives of our children and the generations. You start taking biblical morals out of the generation. They don't know what bathroom to use. And then you're arming them? You know, it makes absolutely no sense. You're teaching a kid that there's absolutely no God and then you're giving him a gun? That makes no sense. And it's not that... Everybody was a born-again believer before, but at least they had those morals instilled into their lives. And so we see that this nation has gone far, but I need to look at it as my heart, that I would never wander from the God who truly is the God of the Bible, would always be the Lord of my life. This is the God who is and has always cared for his people it's part of his nature. It's who he is. He goes on to say, How excellent your name is in all the earth. How glorious your name is of all the names that have ever existed. Why is his name so glorious? I don't know when King David wrote this particular psalm. I don't know if he was king already, if it was something that he had wrote earlier. You kind of look at it as maybe he was a shepherd boy and out tending the sheep, but I, I just don't know. It, it doesn't say. But I do know when David became king, we're told in Deuteronomy chapter 17, when anybody became king, they had to write out the first five books of the Bible. And I would imagine David being a man of the word, whether he had done that yet or not. Again, I, I don't really know. But his Exodus, his book of Exodus, is our book of Exodus. And in our book of Exodus, God describes his name. And his name is what reveals his nature and the essence of who he is. And God's name, it's got a grand description. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 and 6, it says, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with them there, with him here in particular, in this case is Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So the Lord proclaimed his name to Moses. Remember Moses wanted to see God? I, I, want, I just want to see you. And, and so God gave him a glimpse of the hind parts of his glory, but that's not how you see God. It says, God passed by. He also proclaimed his name. It says, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. That's the name of God. That's how we are able to perceive God as born-again believers. Merciful and gracious. Remember, mercy, mercy keeps you out of hell. Grace gets you into heaven. God did not give us what we deserve, and we deserve judgment. Matter of fact, he gave us that which we don't deserve, heaven. 
And so God, God, when we hear the name of the Lord, merciful and gracious. Long-suffering. What does long-suffering mean? <laughs> Just what the word says. He suffered a long time. Look at the time when you... How, how, how old were you when you became born again? I'm just going to use a round term. We'll say you were 30 years old the day you were born again. God suffered long with you for those 30 years. God strove with you and God waited for you. And God put up with you for all that time because God loved you and he wanted to see you into his family. He was long-suffering. And it says, and he he abounds in goodness. Everything God does is good and absolute truth. And so we've got this definition. It even goes longer into in, in, in that. But we have this definition of the name of God. And so what David is saying here, how excellent your name is in all of the earth. There's no other like you are, Lord. There's no other in all of the earth that has been able to change, that's been able to, 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 to occupy, that's been able to minister as you truly have. In Ezekiel 33, verse 11, it says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. And again, we see that this is all of the goodness of God and that these things, as they're spoken of here, they have worked in our lives and they've worked all the way through to the day of our salvation and through the day of our salvation. Again, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. All creation, the idea here is, cannot contain your glory. Solomon has been instructed to build a temple, and he does so. And same thing with Moses when he was instructed to build a tabernacle, I guess. He's been given this detailed instruction in how to do so. Now, think of the responsibility. There's going to be an excitement if God told you to, to build a temple and gave you the resources to do it. And you know, there's going to be that excitement, but then there has to be that wonder, am I doing what God has called me to do? Am I doing it as God has called me to do it? Well, finally, Solomon here is, is dedicating the temple. And, and in chapter 8 of 1 Kings, verse 22, it says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards the heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you, who keep your covenant and mercy and your servants who walk before you with all of their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father, and have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel Only if your son takes heed to their way that they may walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But the will of God indeed, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today. 
that your eyes may be open towards this temple, night and day, towards this place which you said, my name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. When anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then here in heaven and act, judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing his way on his head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to your righteousness. So he's praying these things. He's offering this temple and he's asking God that this would be acceptable to him. And then they offer the sacrifice and the glory of God fills the temple. And can you imagine, you've just simply done what God has called you to do, and there's the glory. The thing about it is, God doesn't inhabit buildings anymore, He inhabits people. And you have to follow through in obedience in what God has called you to do, and who God has called you to be, but you're still able to see the glory of God, the presence of God in your life, and also the presence of God in the lives of others. It's why we in our Christian lives are to be obedient continuously to God because I want to see God and I want to see God move. I want to see God move in my life. There's no doubt about it, but even so much more in my children and my children's children and the people of our congregation to them experience the power of God in their lives. Clean the temple. Present the temple based upon God's instruction for what the temple is to be. And I guarantee you, you will see the glory of God fill that temple in ways that you have never imagined. Now again, when it says the glory of God, the whole idea is the presence of a holy God. And we are to be that temple of the Holy Spirit. It's that presence of a holy God that desires to radiate out into our societies today. Verse 2, back in chapter 8. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. It's through the innocent and the helpless that God's mighty position is established. It's through simple you. Simple you. Just one person just desiring to please God that brings pleasure to the heart of God but also displays the power of God and what God is able to do through simple people. God does not call the mighty because the mighty take the credit. We were at Gideon Springs. We saw where God whittled down from 30,000 down to 300. Why? Because God wanted to get the glory. And so God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Why? So that God would get the glory in all that he does. And I have to be open to that because it's through my weakness that I am made strong. And God uses those weak part of my life to display his strength. That we're able to stand up in the midst of a city council meeting and proclaim the glory of God. That we're able to stand up in the midst of a classroom and to be able to proclaim Jesus Christ as being Lord. Wherever it is that God has called you to proclaim his word, you are weak. You are unable, but God will enable you if you just receive the power of God and understand how he moves in the life of somebody who is humble and sold out to him for his absolute glory. Now, in the psalmist's quest to find out why God 
would care for us. He sees how insignificant and helpless we really are, verses 3 through 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? He sees the glory of the heavens and all that are contained there. And then he looks at mankind and thought, this is where God has chosen to place his affection. Who is it in your life that really irritates you? (laughs) Some of you got a list. I may be on that list even right now. Who is it that's really hard for you to put up with? God loves that person. That person is of utmost importance in the eyes of God. And I guarantee you, if you're in that person's life and you're a born-again believer, God has put you there for the benefit of that person, but also for the benefit of yourself. And as we start to see people as being disposable, we do a great service because nobody is disposable in the eyes of God. God showed me that a long time ago as I became a pastor. You know, I, I can't tell you how, how quick people are to want to throw people out, to, to, to dispose people from the church. And there's been some hard people that God has brought into the church. And God has told me that you're to bring that person in. And you're to bring them into the fold of the body of Christ because I'm mindful of that person. I'm the one who created the heavens and the stars and creation and all that you see. But my affection is towards that particular person. And I have brought that person into your ministry for the purpose of change and for the purpose of growth. You're going to have to endure them, but I had to endure you for quite a long time. And just as that person can be irritating to you, you were at one point in your life irritating to God. We all like to think we're a prize, but very few of us really are. But it's when we're receptive of people, that's when we get to see the change in people's lives. And you get to see this work that God does. And you see the reality of God and who he is. And it's then that you see that we're just not here a club that meets on Sunday mornings, but this is the house of the living God that moves in the lives of his people and continues to do so in just mighty ways. Creation is just an amazing thing. I remember we went backpacking up in the Sierras. This was quite a few years ago, myself and a couple of friends. There was this little peninsula that went out in this lake where we were camping. We were 11,000 feet back in the backcountry. And at night we would go and lay out on this rock and you could just see the stars and you could just see the, the levels of stars. And every once in a while you'd see a satellite go flying by and, or you'd see a shooting star and you would just lay there. And I can imagine David as he would do so. And you could just see how vast the universe is. But God's love is right here, directed to right, to right here to his people. And as God loves me, he's loved me for the purpose of displaying his love to others. Verse 4, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, because the angels are in the presence of God. So at this point, we are a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. God has given us so much. 
he's, he's given, I, I would imagine pretty much everybody here has come in a car. Y'all have got clothes on your back. We've got this building that God has given us that we never really could afford, but he's provided for us for, for I don't remember, close to 15 years now, whatever it's been. And, and, and God has just watched over and kept us. And so it makes me wonder, what does God have for us in the future? Thinking of, you know, in, in Israel and one day we're all going to, that's going to be our, 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 our dwelling place and, and all. But what does God have for us based upon all of that? You look at the situation, you know, when I come back, the news hasn't really changed. And I looked at the things that are going on. And I have to ask, and it's one of the things I'm going to be considering, you know, in the coming months as far as our church, what impact are we really having? What, now, the potential is there, but what impact are we really having as a body of Christ? We've got great responsibility. God has planted us here, but not just, again, for Club Calvary. God has planted us here to be proactive in his kingdom that we would make a difference. Now, where has God called us to make a difference? Well, the, the easy answer, and it is the co- correct answer, is, is Ontario. But God's ministry is worldwide as well. And so we need to have vision for, for the people in this church, to minister to the people in this church, without a doubt, the people of our community. Are we reaching the people of our community? I'd say not really effectively. And then, and then you know, just to the ends of the earth. There's just such a vastness of what God wants to do. And have we entered into all that God wants to do? And so I just want to take this time, this day, just to enjoy God enjoy our salvation, to be reminded of that great love with which he has for us, to make it personal in your own life, but also to make the determination, what is to be my response to this? Are you living up to what is to be your response? Are you going forth and making disciples? Are you preaching God's word? When given the opportunity, are you even able to preach God's word? Do you have God's word hidden in your heart that you're able to deliver it? when given the opportunity. Things that we need to be reminded of, things we may need to be convicted of, things that we need to be inspired in. Just kind of one little side note here, verse 8. The birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. I don't remember the man's name. I believe it was in the 1700s. might have been earlier than that, but he was in the British Navy. He saw that and he realized there's paths in the sea. And because of that, currents were discovered in the ocean. It was because of what was contained in the Bible, that they saw the things in the Bible, realized that the Bible's truth. If it says there's paths in the sea, there must be paths in the sea. And it changed the way um, naval voyages were partaken of. Just kind of a side note. And then we'll close verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, just to reconfirm, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Because of the excellence of God's name, we take this time, we do it once a month, to celebrate the communion meal. To celebrate the communion meal as we hold these elements in our hands, just simply to be reminded of what God has done. We look back in the past, we're reminded of the future, but also well aware of today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
in the same manner, in a manner of thanks. He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, why was the Lord thankful? He wasn't thankful just because, you know, when we eat, and we should, you know, we pray and we offer thanks for what God has provided, and we should. But really, what was God providing in this meal? God's providing salvation. He's understanding how this is going to alter the course of human history. Now, also keep in mind the magnitude of what's about to happen. This is just before he's going to die. And he's understanding the price that has to be paid, and he's still thankful He's about to be scourged. He's about to be spit upon. He's about to be stuck with a javelin, nailed to a cross, and he's still thankful. Even worse than that, he's about to take the sins of the world upon himself, and he's still thankful. Why? Because he understood at the other end was going to be you. And the only thing he's ever asked of you, partake of this communion meal. He's asked more, but one of the things he's asked of you is partake of this communion meal. Don't forget. Don't forget that night when I agonized in that garden. Don't forget when I sat down with these men and realized all that was laid before me. Don't forget that I was just so thankful that salvation was going to be offered to mankind, that my relationship with man was going to be restored back to what it was. God's heart was so thankful during that time. He wants us to partake of this meal and to remember that. To remember the importance of it all. Importance of it all in our salvation, but importance of it all in our daily existence in the Lord. Father, we just lift up this time, this time of communion, and just pray, Father, that you would bless us in it. I pray, Father, as we partake, that, Lord, you would make it personal to each and every person here. And I just pray, Father, that you would remind us of first love that you would remind us on that day of our salvation, Lord, and how it might have been confusing at times, overwhelming at times, but the thing that we knew was the calling of our God unto ourselves, and that we answered that. And, Father, you brought us into this wonderful life. Father, I pray if there's anybody here that, Lord, just needs a cleansing, for whatever the reason may be, we're, we're told to not partake of this meal in an unworthy manner. If there's anybody here who is yet to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would submit your life to him even right now. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Maybe there's another person here, other people here, who've been living outside of the Christian life, have not been obedient, have not made you, Lord, the Lord of their lives, that you would enter into the fullness and the vastness of a Christian life. Or maybe there's just some sin that has soiled you and... Well, the Bible simply tells us if we're faithful to repent, God is faithful to forgive. As eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if there's anybody here who just needs to give something over to the Lord, raise your hand, and I'm just going to corporately pray. I see your hand here to my right. I see your hands in the back and here in the front. This is between you and God. You know why you're raising your (coughs) your hand. Anybody else? Anybody else before we partake? Father, you see the hands that have gone up before you, Lord, and Lord, it's between you and them. And I thank you, Father, that they understand the magnitude of what it means to repent. 
And so, Father, I just pray as they have come before you, lifting their hearts figuratively through the raising of their hands, that you would meet them where they are at. Lord, if there's anybody that have lifted their hand for salvation, Father, it's just that miracle that, Lord, as we give of ourselves to you, that, Lord, you change us. But it's also a miracle that I see, Lord, that we understand the forgiveness of sins and, and Lord, how you are so faithful in that matter as well. And so, Father, we just thank you, Lord, that we're able now to partake of this meal with a pure heart in unity and for your glory. And so, Father, just bless our time here as we finish off this service with this meal, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The worship team is going to lead us in song, and Shaney is going to prepare the meal here. Uh, Make two lines and then go around and then hold on to the elements and we'll partake of the meal together.
us not lift our souls to another. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, <coughs> that seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. And God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, oh God. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. And God, let us be a generation that seeks, that seeks your face, O God of Jacob. and stand. Father, as we partake of this communion meal, we just thank you, God, for all that it represents. As we hold the juice in our hand, Lord, it reminds us of the precious blood. The blood, Lord, signifies the death of the sacrifice, and without the shedding of blood, there is no sacrifice. There is no remission of sins. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you came and that was your precious blood, that blood that didn't just cover sin, but completely washed it away. And the bread, Lord, that reminds us that you love the world to such a degree that you became flesh. You, you were the image, Christ, of the invisible God so that we would know and that we would understand. And Lord, all of this just speaks of the intimacy of the relationship. And so, Father, we just thank you, God, that this is a relationship that you fostered and this is a relationship that you maintain. And so, Lord, as we partake of this meal, it's for the purpose of re being reminded that, Lord, in all the busyness of life, that we would never forget of the goodness of our God. And so, Lord, as we partake, we pray that you would bless us and just continue to use us, Father, for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and partake. Okay, the worship team's going to close us with the last song. We'll be having our service tonight here at 6 o'clock tonight. Um, next Saturday, we are going to be having a service for Tina, Tina Kobo. She went to be with the Lord a couple of weeks ago. Um, everybody's invited. There'll be information, I assume, any more information we'll put out over the uh, prayer chain uh, as far as... Now, I've been gone, so I don't have all the information, but I do know we're having it this coming Saturday, 11 o'clock, Rose? 11 o'clock here at the church, and again, just come and to support Bob, and, and, and just to, uh, if you're able to come and serve, I'm sure that would be appreciated as well. More information will go out as, um, as I realize what's going on. Um, other than that, 
Uh, I'll be in the back after service, but I'm unclean. You may not want to touch me, Um, but it is good to be home. God bless you guys.
Have a blessed day.